All in favor, <coughs> say aye. 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 Any opposed? Uh, report briefing on the police department, police operations and staffing. Dawn, do you have any, would you like to introduce the team and if you have any remarks you'd like to make? Sure, sure, yeah, thank you, Auditor O'Brien. Good morning, audit committee members and guests and the viewing public. Um, just a few words before I'll turn it over to Amy and she can introduce her team and start the briefing, but um, the audit demonstrates the importance of having a comprehensive strategic plan and direction that assists the department with attracting and retaining staff and operational improvement. Um, you know, as we, most of us feel that the or an organization's most valuable assets are the people, and those are the people who carry out the day-to-day -day work, and a comprehensive strategic plan can help guide those day-to-day -day efforts in reaching and possibly surpassing those strategic goals in that plan. So I think the audit will uh, demonstrate some findings that will help improve that area of the department. So I will pass it over to Amy to introduce her team and do her introductory comments and we can get started. All right, thank you, Dawn. Mm -hmm. So the team consisted of myself, Amy Barnes, as audit manager, Kristen McCormick as lead auditor, Jules Mann as lead auditor, and Daniel Imirkanian as senior auditor. Um, before we begin, uh, I'd like to go ahead and thank the police department for um, the just wonderful cooperation, Chief. We very much appreciate all of your help and all of your team's help and getting us the uh, mass amounts of documentation that we asked for um, and answering all of our questions and, and helping us really get to know your operations. So again, we very, very much appreciate all of your uh, support and assistance for the audit. Thank you. Uh, Chief, this will be a time for you to make any remarks or introduce your staff. Well, thank you all. So I'll go ahead and introduce my team first. So this is my uh, Director of Strategic Initi uh, Initiatives, um, um, Matt Lunn. Sorry, there's several Matts <laughs> in my head. This one's Matt Lunn. Um, and then uh, my Division Chief of uh, Administration, uh, Rick Kyle. Um, and I just want to begin by, you know, by thanking you and your staff, uh, uh, Mr. Rutter, for um, you know, taking the time to, to get to know our agency and identify areas where we can uh, certainly continue to grow. Um, you know, this process has actually been very uh, reaffirming to me. You know, I, as you know, I uh, just took over this uh, organization less than a year ago and during a time of transition, um, I've already, you know, uh, partly because of uh, this review, I've already done a number of things using data to better inform our operations to reduce 911 response times, you know, taking a multi-pronged approach uh, to reducing auto thefts in our city, improve transparency with several uh, public facing dashboards and held community meetings on crime trends with residents to improve um, uh, our engagement, just to name a few things. Uh, but again, we will continue to be a learning organization, continue to grow, certainly informed by, by your report, so thank you. All right, shall we begin? The background begins on page one. Law enforcement agencies across the nation are having a difficult time recruiting and retaining qualified job candidates. Staffing levels in the Denver Police Department reflect this nationwide trend where, in recent years, the department is unable to maintain a large enough staff to adequately perform necessary services, like promptly responding to 911 calls or proactively building relationships in the community. Continuing on page one in 2022, the police department was budgeted to have 1,464 uniformed officers. As of March 2022, the department only had 1,364 officers, which was 100 officers short of its approved amount of budgetary positions. The department typically loses between 70 to 80 officers a year. In 2021, 145 officers left the department, 
including 65 officers who retired, which is twice the historical amount. While retirement is a major cause of officers leaving, there are varying reasons others choose to leave the department voluntarily. Starting on the bottom of page two, the success of a police department's recruitment process impacts all aspects of its operations. Denver's recruiting unit within the police department is responsible for creating and implementing strategies to help attract a qualified and diverse pool of applicants. Figure one on page three describes the application process for new officers. Once someone applies to be a Denver police officer, they enter the Civil Service Commission six month process, which includes a set of interviews, checks, and exams. The Civil Service Commission is an independent agency and exclusively controls the application process and decision to hire. Once the commission decides to hire a candidate, the candidate then attends the police academy, which lasts another six months. If a recruit graduates the academy, they become a sworn officer. Starting on the top of page four, one of the department's priorities, as outlined in the city's 2023 budget, is community policing at both the district level and across the city. Community policing involves police officers spending a portion of their time proactively addressing public safety by spending dedicated time in Denver's neighborhoods to build more positive relationships with community members. As seen on the bottom of page four and continuing on to page five, Denver Police Depart or the Denver Department of Public Safety oversees the police department. The police department is led by the chief of police and is comprised of three primary divisions, administration, investigations, and patrol. The patrol division oversees the city's six patrol districts, which can be seen on page five of the report in figure two. Each of the six districts deploy police officers throughout Denver based on various factors, including trends in reported crime. As seen on page six, the police department's overall mission is preventing crime and increasing public trust while honoring the responsibilities granted to us by those we serve with continued focus on partnerships, learning, and innovation. To help the department work towards achieving its mission, officials developed a one-page strategic framework from 2022 through 2024, which contains the following five focus areas. Preventing crime and treating people with respect, reducing social harms, precision policing, innovative training, and taking care of the people who take care of the people. Continuing on page six, in 2022, the department had a budget of approximately $246 million. To address ongoing staffing issues, the 2022 city budget included funding for 144 recruits, a substantial increase from previous years. In addition to using their budget, the department also takes advantage of grants offered by the state and federal governments and nonprofit organizations. As noted at the bottom of page six, officers' duties have grown in recent years. Law enforcement agencies have begun using alternative response programs that do not involve police to address some lower risk calls. Denver's support, assist, or support team assisted response program is an example of such a program where trained mental health professionals respond to calls for service involving individuals experiencing distress related to mental health, poverty, homelessness, and substance abuse. As we note on page seven, the Denver Police Department's operations manual includes restrictions on the number of hours officers can be on duty, as working increasing amounts of overtime can lead to excess fatigue and have other adverse effects on the officer and potentially their interactions with the community. Continuing on page seven, officers face many potential risks to their physical and mental health in the line of duty. To support officers, the Denver Police Department, in collaboration with the Department of Public Safety as a whole, offer various wellness programs officers can take advantage of including the peer support unit, the resiliency program, the chaplain's unit, the reintegration program, a wellness rewards program, and a physical therapy program. 
The audit scope and objective can be found on page 69. The objective of this audit was to determine whether the Denver Police Department effectively designed, implemented, and evaluated its recruiting practices to achieve its mission goals and objectives, effectively monitored turnover and designed retention activities accordingly, and adequately used data to assess its resources to ensure operations are conducted effectively, particularly as it relates to current staffing levels. The scope of our audit included assessing the operational effectiveness of the Denver Police Department by reviewing and analyzing the department's policies, procedures, and strategic documents, as well as surveys and officer data. The time period we reviewed was from January 1st, 2017 through the end of our audit fieldwork on January 18th of 2023. That concludes the background section of the report. With that, I'll go ahead and open the floor for any initial questions or comments before we begin discussing our findings and recommendations. I think we can continue. Okay. We'll go ahead and turn the presentation over to Daniel, who will discuss finding one. Thank you, Kristen, and uh, good morning, everybody. Finding one, beginning on page nine of the report, states that the Denver Police Department lacks comprehensive strategic policies and documented guidance to ensure effective operations. Finding one is broken up into four subfindings. For subfinding one, we found that the Denver Police Department's current strategic guidance is missing critical details. As of January 2023, the Police Department did not have a detailed and comprehensive strategic plan. Without one, the department cannot effectively predict future departmental need, determine its progress towards defined long-term goals, or ensure it provides meaningful and efficient police services to the community. Federal guidance explains that a strategic plan should detail an organization's mission, long-term goals, strategies planned, and any approaches it will use to monitor progress when addressing problems or working towards goals. Turning to page 10 of the report, in comparing federal guidance to the Denver Police Department, we found their stra uh, strategic framework did not provide any clear connections between its goals, missions, and objectives. Additionally, the plan lacks crucial information on how the department will measure its success and progress towards established goals. According to officials, the department at one point did have a detailed 30-page strategic plan, but found staff were not reading it. To address this, the department created a simple one-page document to communicate their goals for 2022 to 2024. However, by distilling its strategic plan to a one-page framework, the police department lost critical components of a strategic plan, such as how leaders plan to measure progress towards goals and objectives. According to best practices, a strategic plan comes together when an organization's leadership carefully considers numerous factors, is constantly communicating with stakeholders, and establishes specific measurable goals. Federal guidance, uh, guidance outlines nine essential steps that, if completed in a specific consecutive order, will result in an effective strategic plan. We found that the department had completed some, but not all of the steps. Figure three on page 11 of the report briefly outlines all nine steps, as well as shows the department's progress towards completing them. As shown, the department has completed three out of the nine steps of the strategic planning process. Pages 11 through 14 of the report dive into greater detail about completing each step and provides additional information to the on the department's status as it relates to each step. Ultimately, without a complete strategic plan, the department cannot effectively carry out its responsibilities or determine whether initiatives and programs are successfully achieving department goals. Therefore, we find it imperative that the department follows the steps outlined on pages 11 through 14 of the report. This leads us to recommendation 1.1, which is uh, found on page 15 of the report. And it states, 
The Denver Police Department should review and update its one-page strategic framework to align with leading practices for creating a complete and documented strategic plan. This process should follow and document each step of the strategic planning in consecutive order as discussed in the finding. Once completed, department leadership should communicate the new plan to relevant program leaders to ensure uh, staff understand department goals, plan strategies, and expectations for completing them. The department agreed with the recommendation with an implementation date of July 1st, 2023. I will now pause for comments and questions related to subfinding one. Any questions from the committee? Any comments from the chief? Yeah, I do have a couple comments. Uh, first, you know, certainly we do understand the value and action plans, evaluation methods, and reporting expectations. It's important for transparency um, and accountability. But I think we understood also that uh, you have to kind of weigh that with the reality that very few people are going to read a voluminous uh, strategic plan. Um, so uh, we do uh, think that there's value in our in our one pager uh, that's you know, easily uh, communicated and understood by uh, our rank and file as well as our community. However, um, uh, we will though we will continue to use this easy to digest format. We uh, do understand and recognize the need to create a m much more extensive uh, book that will detail some of the things that you have suggested. So certainly, uh, we're looking forward to doing that. Thank you. Let's uh, continue. One question. Yeah, go ahead. Chief, I'm, I've got a, a few questions. One right now and a couple to go on later. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> ever since the George Floyd situation in uh, Minneapolis, um, there's been a major change, I think, in the, what the populace expects of of police departments, yes, which gets into politics, and your job is not that of a politician. And I guess now that the mayor is his term is over, uh, and we have a new mayor coming in, and I look at what's required for a strategic plan. To what extent do you think the new mayor? should be getting more involved with what those goals and strategies should be to lift the political weight mm -hmm. off of your shoulders? Uh, you know, I appreciate the question. So certainly looking forward to uh, meeting with Mayor-elect uh, Johnston. I have prepared a number of reports, documents, uh, you know, a, a lot of things have, have been provided to he and his team um, rela related to our progress, uh, some of our operations. And so certainly uh, waiting to have further conversation with him as it relates to what his strategic plan is for his own administration and his goals and how uh, the things that we uh, uh, do align with that. And so certainly um, I, I do recognize that uh, that uh, my job is to be apolitical and, and, and he and maybe to some degree the executive director of safety uh, take on those more politi political uh, conversations and situations. So um, uh, I do recognize that. And again, I'm looking forward to um, you know, having those conversations and, and identifying how we can work together. Go ahead. Uh, the other thing that I would say is um, our team is already proactively under the chief's guidance. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I, I didn't. I'm happy. That's okay. I'll pull, I'll, pull the, I'll pull the mic closer. A few people tell me I'm not loud enough. So uh, <laughs> so this is, a, this is a new one. Thank you. Um, uh, under the chief's guidance, we've also taken a look at the mayor-elect's um, goals as they relate to public safety and the things that public safety touches. And so we're already creating a document full of 
a menu of choices uh, that the mayor-elect can um, consider in his conversations with the chief and other leaders in the city um, as we continue to move forward. But it would seem to me that you can't really update the strategy until the mayor decides what he wants. Is, am, I, am I missing something? Well, no, you're, you're not. But certainly, you know, I, I think that our general mission is not going to change. I mean, we, we are still going to uh, serve the people. Um, I still think that, um, that lowering crime, um, incre you know, reducing our response times and increasing public trust, uh, I think are going to be key elements of, of the new mayor's plan. So thank you. Continue. For subfinding two, on page 15 of the report, we found that Denver's community policing efforts are not guided by a comprehensive strategy. While community policing is a documented priority for the Denver Police Department, we found that the department's officials are not effectively implementing this mission. On report page 15 and 16, we found that, despite being a documented priority for the department, officials are not effectively implementing this mission. We highlight three key areas. The first, the department lacks a community policing plan, which would describe the department's visions and goals for the community policing or key activities or milestones. Secondly, the department also lacks a formal way to measure impact of community policing efforts, which would help officials better understand what they could be doing better. Finally, each of the six patrol districts have its own approach to community policing based on each district's perceived needs and relies on district commanders to address community level concerns. Denver Police Department officials informed us that they view community policing as an overarching vision and said they feel community policing cannot be formalized in a measurable plan. However, federal guidance for local law enforcement stresses the importance of creating a comprehensive plan for community policing to achieve and implement an agency's mission. Found on page 19 of the report, best practices recommend officers spend no more than 60% of their time on service calls. Denver Police Department's defined goals for how officers should spend their time each day are 35% on officer-initiated activities, such as proactive community policing, 35% responding to service calls, such as 911 emergencies, and 30% on administrative duties, such as writing reports. The department uses a computer-aided dispatch system to record how each officer spends their time in each of these areas. To assess if the department was adhering to its officers' performance goals, we reviewed data from 2017 to 2021 gathered from the dispatch system, as shown in Figure 5 on page 20. Figure 5 shows that officers met their community policing goal in 2018, but not in any other year we reviewed. Meanwhile, the time spent on 911 calls consistently exceeded the department's goals. According to department officials, officers have not met their goals for time spent on proactive tasks due to increased calls for service and overall staffing shortages. Because officers cannot prioritize proactive tasks like community policing with department's current staffing levels, the department cannot engage with the community in a way that fulfills the department's goals for officers' work time. Because officers must spend more time responding to 911 calls, the department is having to be reactive, leaving less time for officers to proactively create a, quote, felt presence within the community. Page 22 of the report discusses that, without its own documented, comprehensive, and community-informed strategy, the department cannot ensure its community policing efforts are successful and will struggle to develop strong community partnerships. Further, having a documented plan would help the department honor its mission of, quote, preventing crime and increasing public trust while honoring the responsibilities granted to us by those we serve 
with continued focus on partnerships, learning, and innovation, end quote. I'll read through recommendations 1.2 through 1.4 before opening the floor for comments. Our recommendations for subfinding two found on page 22 and 23 of the report are as follows. For recommendation 1.2, the Denver Police Department should develop, document, and implement a comprehensive strategic community policing plan that details priorities, roles, and responsibilities for officers and staff, key activities and milestones, and performance measure, metrics to measure success. This plan should align with policing best practices, such as those from the U.S. Department of Justice, Justice's Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. The plan should also include ways to gain feedback from community members, such as through citywide surveys. The department agreed with the recommendation with an implementation date of July 1st, 2023. For recommendation 1.3, once recommendation 1.2 is implemented, the department should effectively communicate its comprehensive strategic community policing plan with all officers and staff, as well as external stakeholders, to promote clear understanding and support of the department's vision in line with policing best practices. The department agreed with the recommendation and has claimed to have already implemented this on November 3rd of 2022. We added an addendum to the department's response and implementation date, which starts on page 65 of the report, to provide additional context for this recommendation. Specifically, the police department's written response on page 59 of the report discusses several activities it does within the community. Although we will not officially verify their implementation claim until our uh, follow-up process, the audit team thought it important to note that it's not possible for them to have communicated any plan by the date they indicated because the department did not have a community policing plan in place by November 2022, as we noted on page 15 and 16 of the report. For recommendation 1.4, the Denver Police Department should develop and document a method to measure the success of its community policing efforts and conduct community surveys to gather information from the public, engage the public's perception of, Denver's police, of Denver Police Department. The department should then publish all community survey results. The department agreed with the recommendation and said that this has also been implemented as of April 24, 2023. We added an addendum to the department's response found on page 66 of the report to provide additional context and reasons for this recommendation. We will not verify the status of the recommendation until we uh, follow up on the audit later. I will now pause for comments and questions related to subfinding two. Chief. Uh, thank you. So uh, first as it relates to recommendation two, um, you know, we understand that the concept of community policing does not have a universally accepted definition Instead, it's kind of a framework for ensuring that uh, community members are part of everything we do. I think that's very clear that the community is, is uh, you know, essential to everything that we do. Um, nevertheless, we will create a, a public-facing uh, community policing plan that recognizes the fluid nature of uh, community policing based on our 78 neighborhoods. Um, uh, but I do think it's important to note that we have um, recently hired a community uh, relations director position um, to prioritize an, our, our focus on essential efforts toward community policing. We've also hired three uh, community engagement program managers to bolster our community outreach efforts in each district. Um, also, we have um, uh, had our community engagement staff attend a pro professional community engagement uh, training. Um, this happened just last month to assist in our uh, continual improvement toward that mission. Um, and uh, lastly, I, I want to highlight our Before the Blue and Beyond the Badge program, um, which some of you may be familiar with. We actually have our most recent graduating class going through that this week. 
our class that just was seated in May uh, went through that the first week of the academy. And basically, this is an opportunity for them uh, to um, engage with community members across the city and really kind of understand uh, um, each community, understand cultures, understand reasons for distrust and things like that. And I, it's because I recognize that it's actually probably a disservice to our officers to, you know, train them up to be police officers and then dispatch them to various communities across the city when they haven't even had any interaction and engagement with those citizens. So um, that that uh, uh, initiative was uh, done in partnership with Together Colorado. Um, and uh, they're very pleased with how the, the first um, iteration worked uh, about uh, two or three weeks ago. Um, they're involved in the process that's going on right now with the class that just graduated a week ago. Um, and so um, I, I do think that, again, this, this speaks to our commitment towards uh, community policing. Um, as it relates to recommendation 1.3, um, I think it's important to note that you know, I engaged in a pretty significant listening tour beginning days after my appointment, uh, meeting with uh, all of our rank and file, meeting with community, uh, community members across uh, our 78 neighborhoods. Um, our uh, community engagement unit and our district resources have, um, I think, done community engagement efforts uh, pretty significantly for a long time. And I recently re uh, launched our community crime prevention coalition uh, meetings, which are basically a neighborhood version of our um, weekly crime strategy briefings, which is, in essence is Comstat. And so we have taken that to the community. Our first one was November 3rd of last year. We've already done six of these, uh, one in each uh, district in the city. Um, hundreds of uh, community members have attended these uh, briefings and we have another one scheduled for, for next Thursday. Um, as it relates to recommendation 1.4, um, we're working with an outside academic to um, provide a, a neighborhood specific survey. Uh, um, this is based on um, this, the same uh, academic actually has worked with Seattle Police Department uh, to do their community survey. And so we are interested in hearing from our community and, and understanding how we can be more responsive. Um, also, our community engagement unit has developed a mobile-friendly data collection tool that our community resource officers and any officer who is engaged in a community um, event can better track the number of in individuals that we interact with, um, uh, which you know, tracks the topics that are covered, concerns raised by the community, uh, issues as it relates to uh, language accessibility. Um, and the other thing is that uh, we have implemented uh, Place Network Investigations, which is a project that uh, I think was instituted in Cincinnati, uh, very effective there in significantly reducing crime, working with uh, communities, much of a uh, more holistic approach, uh, connecting with other city agencies to address uh, uh, challenges in communities much more holistically. Um, and the, did we already talk about uh, 1.5? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> the, floor, the floor is yours. <laughs> Any questions from the committee? Let's proceed. Okay. I'm almost through finding one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, sub finding three on page 23 of the report states that the recruiting unit lacks a comprehensive program to maximize recruiting efforts. Without a comprehensive program to guide recruiting efforts, 
The four-person recruiting unit cannot accurately determine progress towards its long-term goals or determine whether its efforts are effective in increase, increasing applications for job openings. Federal guidelines say sound program design and performance management are the basis for effective and efficient use of an organization's resources. On page 24 of the report, we found that the recruiting unit lacks critical details for how it plans to achieve its goals and communicate its progress. Specifically, the unit lacks metrics, data, or a finalized plan to track the number of people applying for the Denver Police Department positions. <coughs> According to staff, the unit underwent a period of reorganization from late 2019 to 2021, where the unit lost crucial institutional and programmatic knowledge, including many policies and procedures used by previous staff. Since then, current staff members have made several efforts to develop a new program that would address the department's staffing issues. While the unit's efforts align with some of, leading the some of the leading practices, they are still missing critical components. Specifically, the unit's documented plan, as of January 2023, did not include specific strategies for accomplishing unit-level goals, specific objectives or metrics for measuring progress towards those goals, and specific information on how staff plan to collect data, learn from the collected data, and improve the overall uh, recruitment process. As shown in figure six on page 24, federal guidance on program design provides specific steps that the recruiting unit could use to build a comprehensive recruiting program. When followed in consecutive order, these five steps could empower the recruiting unit to properly re-examine, develop, and manage the department's recruiting program. Pages 25 through 28 of the report dive into greater detail about completing each step and provides additional information on the unit's status as it relates to each step. Discussed on page 28 of the report, the recruiting unit's current program summary lacks details on how staff plan to evaluate progress towards objectives or goals. Furthermore, the unit has no defined data collection strategies or methods outside of collecting data for in-person events. Additionally, while the unit uh, develops some goals, objectives, and strategies to guide its efforts, these lack sufficient detail for optimal effectiveness. Further, the unit's program design does not include any evaluation activities as recommended by leading practices. Because of this, the recruiting unit cannot sufficiently determine whether it has maximized its recruiting efforts. If the department does not achieve its recruiting goals, the department will continue to face staffing shortages and it will be less prepared to provide effective services to the city. I'll read recommendation 1.5 and 1.6 before opening the floor to comment. On page 28 of the report, we recommend the following. For recommendation 1.5, the Denver Police Department should review and update the design of its existing recruitment program to align with leading practices. This review should follow and document each step of program design and performance management in consecutive order as discussed in the finding. The department agreed with the recommendation with an implementation date of August 1st, 2023. For recommendation 1.6, the Denver Police Department should develop formal procedures to communicate with relevant stakeholders about how well the recruitment program is working and about any plans to improve the program's performance in the future. The department agreed with the recommendation and said it had been implemented as of October 26, 2022. We added an addendum to the department's response found on page 66, which addresses this claim. Specifically, the department stated in their response that work is still ongoing to improve recruitment communication. Further, other evidence we received during this audit, which are dated after the department reported they implemented this recommendation, show efforts are still incomplete. For example, the department provided a draft recruitment uh, plan to the audit team November 2022, as noted on page 24 of the report, after the implementation date. 
Given these, it is unlikely the department implemented the recommendation by October 2022. However, we will not officially verify their claims until we commence our follow-up process. I will now pause for comments and questions related to sub-finding three. Thank you. Um, so first, as it relates to uh, recommendation 1.5, um, uh, one of my first um, efforts as chief was to work collaboratively, collaboratively with internal and external stakeholders uh, to improve our overall recruitment effort and process. Um, and I think those efforts have been successful. We started a class in May of 57, um, by far the largest class in the history of the Denver Police Department. Um, also, we sought and uh, received a $200,000 state grant, uh, specifically to build up our recruitment efforts. And uh, using those funds, we've hired a marketing firm uh, to look at our uh, current strategy and seek uh, new approaches for reaching uh, underserved demographics. Also, we've improved our online presence. Uh, we continue to work uh, closely with civil service to streamline the process. And then we've uh, improved our uh, communication with applicants. We understand this is a six-month process, often from application to hire. Um, and so we recognize with the current generation, there's a, a, a desperate need to maintain constant communication with them, give them updates, make sure that they are aware of the of upcoming steps and that they take those upcoming steps. Uh, so we're making those efforts. Um, uh, also, we will be, uh, as it relates to um, recommendation 1.6, we're gonna be adding our recruitment numbers uh, to our transparency dashboards, uh, along with all the other things that are on our transparency website. Thank you. I, I would also note that um, just because we have updated drafts of plans that we're putting out doesn't indicate that we're not compliant or that we, we made a false statement in, um, based on the information we provided in our response. It simply shows our willingness to look at our processes continually uh, and continuously work to improve those. So. Should we continue? Sure. Subfinding four. Last one of finding one. Okay. <laughs> so subfinding four uh, on page 29 of the report <coughs> states that the police department staffing model is outdated. Specifically, we found that Denver Police Department staffing model as of January 2023 was based on data from over a decade ago and did not align with best practices that say staffing models should be based on officers' current workloads. The department's outdated staffing analysis relies on data from 2008 to 2012, meaning it does not consider current needs or available resources. For example, Denver's population grew by 19% from 2010 to 2020, according to census data. Around the end of our field work in December, officials informed the audit team that the increasing response times among patrol officers has prompted department officials to reevaluate their internal staffing model and a new one is in development. Uh, the outdated uh, staffing analysis was performance-based and relied on four key indicators. Crime rate, high priority response times, solving cases, and preventing traffic crashes. These metrics were derived from mathematical, mathematical relationships with, between each other, and the department used those relationships to determine the number of officers it needed to perform its best in those categories. However, leading practices say using crime rates to measure staff patrol officers is not practical because crime rates are influenced by many other factors than just staff resources. Rather, leading practices state a workload-based staffing model would consider calls for service as well as targeted percentages of time spent responding to call and time devout, uh, devoted to proactive tasks. 
On page 30 of the report, officials explain the current authorized strength of 1,464 officers is still defensible, although they have not assessed their staffing needs for over a decade or the budgeted staffing numbers since 2019 because of the co of COVID uh, pandemic's impact on the department. According to the Department of Justice, one-way understaffed agencies can help ensure they provide appropriate, uh, appropriate services to the community is by diverting certain tasks to civilian or non-officer employees. Found on page 31 of the report, in 2022, uh, the Denver Police Department had 336 civilian staff positions budgeted. While the department is working on a new staffing model, the lack of an up-to-date one has left the department unable to accurately determine what resources it needs to effectively accomplish its goals. Further, continuous understaffing may result in the department being unable to provide necessary services to the community, promptly respond to 911 calls and non-emergency calls, and sufficiently prioritize community policing efforts. Given this, recommendation 1.7 on page 32 of the report reads, the Denver Police Department should finalize, implement, and communicate its new staffing analysis in line with leading practices. This should include completing a formal documented staffing analysis that is based on data about officers' current workloads, reviewing and, updating, reviewing and updating the staffing analysis as necessary on a consistent basis, and assessing how best to use civilian staff and alternative response programs to respond to calls for service that could implement resource needs. The department agreed with the recommendation and said this has been implemented as of December 1st of 2022. We added an addendum to the department's response found on page 67, which addresses this. Specifically, the department stated in their response that work to build the new staffing model is still ongoing with an anticipated completion date of October 2023. Therefore, by officials' own acknowledgement, uh, this recommendation has not yet been implemented. In addition, police department staff who worked on the new staffing model told us in November 2022 that the October 2022 version was the most recent update at the time. They said it would be further refined in 2023. Therefore, the new staffing model has not been finalized, implemented, or communicated. Furthermore, as noted on page 29 of the report, the department will still, was still using its old staffing model as of December 2022. I will now pause here to allow for comments or questions for sub-finding four, after which Jules will continue to uh, finding two. Chief Thomas. Uh, thank you. So um, obviously the Denver Police Department uh, continues to use data to inform our, our staffing. And, um, you know, I, I think that we really became effective at, at the need to do this uh, during the pandemic period. It, you know, it, it taxed our staffing quite a bit. Uh, we had models uh, running. Uh, you know, determining just how much of our staff would be affected, how many uh, uh, services uh, we would cut back on, how we would, um, you know, divide our staffing um, amongst our, our patrol districts. Um, obviously, also, as, as was mentioned, we continue to be a leader in identifying uh, positions that I think can be better uh, uh, handled by professional staff. Um, and then, uh, as was mentioned also in uh, November or October of 2022, we did implement uh, a new staffing model, uh, which was informed by Northwestern University of uh, um, uh, School of Police Staff and Command, um, which um, uh, balances uh, patrol capacity by workload across uh, time and place. Um, and, uh, you know, we create uh, staffing target goals, so trying to get to that 30, 35% of uh, proactive time so that they can uh, engage in that community 
um, policing effort. Um, and I also think it's important to understand that, you know, when we uh, graduate a, a class, um, we use these staffing models to determine w where these uh, where these new recruits are going to go. I have a, a very specific question, and it's a little bit outside of this report, but it relates to staffing. Two thoughts that come into my mind, um, one regarding the STAR program. Yes. And I would love to just get your thoughts of what the impact that has had on, I'm assuming, reducing the number of, mm -hmm. of Certainly. officers. And on the counter to that, uh, Denver Public School new decision to mm -hmm. allow student or school resource officers mm -hmm. in the schools, that you're going to obviously have to staff for that. And mm -hmm. I realize that's still new and mm -hmm. we don't know a number yes. yet, but I'm just wondering what you think the impact of those two programs have been on your staffing. Well, you know, we've realized the impact of STAR for a long time. You know, it's, it's a program that has continued to, to grow. Um, I think roughly 5% of our previous call load uh, is being handled by, by STAR. Uh, certainly, um, we understand that, um, that um, we want the best response to go to, to the consumer. And so um, when there's a situation that has no component of violence, no crime has been committed, but certainly somebody is in acute crisis, we recognize that, uh, that those professionals are, are best suited to, to do that. So we're certainly happy that that uh, is removed from our workload, or at least maybe the better way to say it is that we're able to, the city is able to, to provide a better response uh, to those individuals as it relates to uh, the school resource officers. So we did, uh, under, under an emergency basis, put 14 officers in our comprehensive high schools after the most recent uh, shooting incident. Certainly it did have an impact on our staffing, um, but we were actually able to show slight reductions in response times to calls, um, even though our call load has continued to increase. And so that's, I think, due to a number of things. I think um, active supervision, making sure that officers are um, uh, moving from call to call uh, as appropriate, um, and also um, recognizing those things that that um, police officers, uh, a uniformed police officer, doesn't necessarily have to show up on someone's doorstep to handle. We've uh, developed a tel telephone reporting unit so that we can have someone call and take a report over the phone. Uh, the 911 uh, system is. Uh, doing a better job directing people to file certain reports online, so um, we've able we've been able to absorb um, the loss of those 14 officers. Quite honestly, um, I'm a, uh, a proponent and advocate of having school resource officers in schools. Um, I think that ultimately it will have the impact of lowering calls for service because we'll have those positive engagements with youth. Um, we'll, we'll be able to, I think, quell disturbances and probably prevent the need for officers to have to respond to those schools in many cases. Would you still have a request for more officers? You said 14 <coughs> now, but... I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I, I've had uh, pretty consistent conversations with um, Dr. Marrero as well as the school board, and so I have an, uh, an understanding of what the ask is going to be, and I think that's something we can easily uh, under absorb. Great, thank you. Yes. Finding number two. Thank you, Daniel. Finding two, beginning on page 33 of the report, states that the Denver Police Department does not have effective strategies to understand and address low retention. On page 33, we found that the police department struggles with low retention and low morale. 
Even though understaffing creates the biggest barrier to the operational success of the police department, we found that the Denver Police Department does not have effective procedures to determine its internal causes of lower tension, nor does it have strategies to address them. By not effectively identifying and addressing internal causes of lower tension, the department cannot make meaningful changes based on officers' feedback to improve retention and boost officers' morale. As shown in figure eight on page 34, turnover among uniformed officers has notably increased over the four-year period from 5.4% in 2019 to 9.5% in 2021. In 2022, the turnover rate fell slightly, but was still high compared to 2019 and 2020. The department's workforce capacity has significantly dropped during the same four-year period, reflecting the increasing staff shortages the department experienced. In 2019, the department had 97 of the uniformed officers it was author authorized to have. By 2022, that number dropped to less than 87.9%. The percentage of patrol officers declined even further, from 101.3% workforce capacity in 2019 to 86.1% in 2022. In figure nine on page 36, we found that starting in 2020, most of the officers who resigned from the Denver Police Department were in senior positions. It is to note that these resignations include officers who voluntarily left their position for reasons other than retirement. During our audit, we surveyed uniformed officers to better understand issues related to recruitment and retention. Per page 37, we identified several internal issues affecting retention and turnover, which are within department's officials' ability to address. These issues point towards burnout, poor leadership, low staffing, and officers not feeling valued. We also evaluated officer salaries among local police departments, Colorado, and noted that these local departments offer higher salaries for uniformed officers than Denver does. According to policing best practices, it is important to understand the specific reasons of why some officers leave before retention strategies are developed. The department should involve officers in identifying reasons for low retention and should ask employees questions when they leave to understand what is important to them. Policing best practices also state on page 39 that retention efforts should optimize factors that attract officers to the department while limiting issues that cause officers to leave. Therefore, police departments should adopt strategies like providing a realistic understanding of job requirements, providing adequate training opportunities, obtaining employee feedback, and providing opportunities for promotion, growth, and recognition. We find that the department will continue to operate ineffectively if the underlying issues causing turnover and ongoing staffing shortages are not sufficiently addressed. Therefore, recommendation 2.1 on page 39 of our report states that the Denver Police Department should develop and document processes to identify the primary causes for low retention. It should then develop and implement effective retention strategies based on policing best practices. The Denver Police Department agreed with this recommendation. I will now open the floor for any questions or comments related to this finding. Chief, thank you. Um, uh, so certainly we've um, already com completed the engagement survey and are working to improve our responsiveness uh, to employees at all levels. Um, two examples um, include uh, we've, we've integrated uh, line level feedback in our weekly crime strategy briefing meetings. We've also improved the turnaround for officer uh, commendations, understanding that that's uh, a concern uh, to the rank and file. And as evidence of our positive movement, our attrition rate has slowed significantly to uh, approximately 1.5 from you know, the, the, the high of 9.5 in 2021. 
Can we continue? Yep. Per page 39 of our report, the police department does not effectively collect information to determine reasons for increased turnover. As stated on bottom of page 39, the department officials do not have enough information to fully understand why officers are leaving the department. The department is not gathering data points needed and is not effectively assessing the information it collected. In short, the department only collects minimal data that is not always appropriately analyzed for trends. As discussed on page 40, internal surveys tailored to meet the needs of the department may be more beneficial than using a general survey. Page 40 states that the department only uses exit surveys to collect information on departing officers. However, the surveys are voluntary. We noted that no one analyzes the submitted information, meaning the department cannot make informed decisions on how it can best address retention and reduce turnover. On page 40, Denver Police Department acknowledged that a formal department-specific survey about retention issues may be effective to collect more targeted information. As discussed on page 41, we reviewed all exit surveys from uniformed officers who left the Denver Police Department in the last two years. We noted that only 14 of the 268 uniformed officers who left in that time completed an exit survey resulting in a response rate of 5%. Leading practices state that the collected information from departing employees can provide valuable insight. Though the information should be analyzed and included in strategic planning, management, improvements, recruiting strategies, and a yearly strategic review process. Per page 41, we learned that, the recently, that recently the department implemented ways to obtain feedback from current officers. However, these processes remain informal, undocumented, and inconsistently applied across the department. If the Denver Police Department does not create and implement a formal process to regularly gather and analyze data on how officers feel about their jobs and why they are leaving, officials will not have the knowledge they need to understand trends and turnover. As a result, the department will continue to struggle with officer retention. Therefore, our recommendations on page 42 of our, of our report state the following. Per recommendation 2.2, the Denver Police Department should work with the Department of Public Safety to choose and implement an effective way to gather feedback from current officers and staff, such as contracting with people element. Once implemented, department officers should use the information to take meaningful action to enhance retention. The Denver Police Department agreed with this recommendation. Recommendation 2.3 states that once the Denver Police Department identifies the primary causes of low retention as specified in recommendations 2.1 and 2.2, the department should develop and implement employee retention strategies using best practices. The Denver Police Department agreed with this recommendation. Lastly, recommendation 2.4 states that the Denver Police Department should develop, document, and implement a process to regularly review and analyze trends and feedback from departing officers and staff using their responses through the department's exit survey. The Denver Police Department agreed with this recommendation. I will now open the floor for any questions or comments related to this finding. Chief. Thank you. Uh, you're correct. Historically, we have only done a good job of uh, conducting exit interviews on professional staff as well as uh, recruits who leave the academy. So we recognize the gap there in understanding why veteran officers are uh, leaving the department. So we are working uh, currently with uh, Safety HR to develop a, a standardized exit interview. And then the results of that uh, exit interview are going to be routed to our new professional uh, development or performance development unit so that we can uh, track and identify trends and, and, make, uh, and be responsive to those trends that we identify. Um, also, um, you know, 
you know, we have seen improvement already. We already discussed that. I think our, our uh, turnover rate is uh, much better uh, than it once was before. We do still have 29% of our uh, force that has been on the job for 20 or more years. Um, and we have implemented a number of strategies already, um, uh, I think, to address some of the needs of our professionals, or our, both our professional and our sworn staff to include launching a professional policing and leadership institute with the University of Denver, starting a command college, uh, developing a mentoring program, again, creating our professional development unit, um, which, um, and increasing our focus on training. Um, also important to note our new collective bargaining agreement um, uh, accounts for um, longevity pay, as well as uh, providing uh, financial uh, incentives for uh, higher education. Okay, any questions from the committee? Oh, can I, can I make one more? Sure. Uh, yeah. I also think it's important to note that uh, we have uh, recognized the, the, the need to, um, to go through a reintegration process with officers that have been involved in critical incidents, understanding that sometimes the, the, the trauma that comes from being involved in those incidents uh, not only impacts people's careers, but also can maybe uh, ca cause them to, to leave the job. And so um, I'm very proud of the reintegration process that we uh, currently put officers through now. Jules, want to continue? Yep. According to page 43 of the report, the police department lacks specific goals to ensure the diversity of its officers reflects Denver. As stated on page 43, Part of addressing low retention within a police department involves improving the diversity among officers and improving the culture of policing. Leading practices highlight that a department's workforce should be representative of the community it serves. In comparing demographic data between Denver's 700 plus officers and the Denver population at large, we noted the race and ethnicity of patrol officers closely reflects the city's residents. However, as shown in figure 11 on page 43, our analysis revealed disparities in gender. Women only make up 18.7% of Denver, Denver's patrol force while presenting about half the city's population. Per page 43 of the report, we also found that female officers resigned at a disproportionate rate since 2017. This disproportionate number of resignations by female officers further perpetuates gender inequities within the Denver Police Department. As discussed on pages 43 and 44, police officials are aware of issues regarding diversity among officers within the department. During our audit, we learned that the department is seeking to have 30% of all uniformed officers be women by 2030 as one of their initiatives. However, per page 44, the department did not have any strategies or performance management indicators addressing how to reach this goal. Because of this lack of defined details, the department cannot accurately track and evaluate their progress on this initiative. Page 45 of the report mentions other initiatives the de department is intending to pursue, such as hiring a marketing firm to help inform police department officials about strategies that are more likely to attract a more diverse pool to candidates for jobs postings. The department also intends to create a program for the police academy that incorporates lessons focused on interpersonal relationships and wellness before law enforcement tactics. As is stated on page 45, diversifying the police department could improve overall policing culture in the city as it has benefits beyond improving representation of historically marginalized populations. By improving workforce diversity, the Denver Police Department would, be rep would better represent the community it serves. 
Furthermore, addressing inequities would also help improve the public's perception of law enforcement and work towards healing distrust between the police and the community. Therefore, recommendation 2.5 on page 45 states the following. As the Denver Police Department develop its comprehensive strategic plan as part of recommendation 1.2 and its recruiting plan as part of recommendation 1.4, it should continue to develop, document, and implement diversity goals, including strategies and measures to achieve those goals. These efforts should help ensure the demographics of police officers and staff reflect the Denver community they serve. The Denver Police Department agreed with this recommendation. I will now open the floor for any questions or comments related to this recommendation. Mm. Chief. Uh, thank you. So certainly we recognize the value of having uh, a department that is reflective of the community that we serve. Um, uh, and we do prioritize the recruitment of um, diverse groups uh, to include females. Um, in fact, I think it's important to note that roughly 30% of our uh, academy today, this, this May Academy that was just seated a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, about 30% of that class is, is, is female, so we're happy about that. Certainly, again, we have, we have uh, signed on to that 30 by 30 initiative, and we are uh, uh, looking forward to, to continuing to advance towards that goal. Um, uh, things that we have done specifically uh, uh, to do that, we have... Um, created a women's academy we've run three or four of these and so this is an opportunity for us to invite uh, women in our community that uh, may have an interest in in policing uh, give them a couple of days it's usually held over a weekend uh, to give them some exposure to the things that we do give them an opportunity to uh, to go through some of the physical components so that they can see how, how they fare uh, there meet uh, women at all ranks um, uh, so that they can see what kind of career opportunities there are and hear about what their experiences has, has been. Uh, we've also, in 2021, we um, developed a women's collective, and so this is a collection of, uh, of women, both uh, professional and sworn, uh, at all ranks uh, that, that meet regularly to um, identify barriers within the department and seek out solutions. Uh, some of the larger projects that they have been uh, involved in are creating a mentorship program as well as uh, finding funding options for uh, child care, uh, a child care facility uh, for, for our sworn members, um, understanding that that is often a barrier. Um, our recruitment unit has also increased our uh, online platform specifically targeting minority candidates through outlets such as the uh, historically black college and university connect job boards as well as uh, working with local uh, media outlets such as Telemundo. Uh, and also the marketing firm that we have hired um, uh, is actively working to help us seek out new approaches for uh, reaching these um, underserved demographics. So thank you. Thank you. Finding yes. three. I think, I think Almost maybe done. there was a question. Yeah, I had one <clears throat> question. <clears throat> that is um, <clears throat> looking at figure 11, you know, there's the uh, the whole question of female versus male relationship. Um, how, do, if you know, how does this compare to other uh, police forces? Because, I mean, you take a look at, you know, what it takes to be a fireman. There are a lot of you know, physical requirements. I'm sure it's the same as with police. And <clears throat> sitting out here, you know, you can look at all the statistics you want. It, it, some of this just isn't necessarily as practical is just 
fiddling with this. How, how do you believe you're doing in comparison to some other police departments in the country with respect to the male-female ratio, et cetera, so that we get some understanding of that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm proud to report that um, we're certainly not where we want to be, but I think compared to uh, departments across the country, particularly large police departments across the country, we are doing very well. Um, uh, from a percentage standpoint, again, not where we want to be. We recognize the value of having women in our force. And so, again, that's why we and a number of other departments across the country have signed on to that 30 by 30 initiative. And, um, you know, I, I think that unfortunately our profession has not been one that has been open and welcoming to, I don't necessarily even think it's really much about the physical demands as much as it's just been a profession that has not been open and welcoming uh, to women. And so that's something that we're certainly working on changing. And uh, I think the best way to do that is uh, to be informed by the women that are currently here. Thank you. Amy? Finding three begins on page 46 of the report. We found the Denver Police Department should improve officers' access to in-house physical therapy and mental health services. Specifically, the department's mental health and physical therapy programs should be expanded to increase availability. Mental and physical health resources are critical to the well-being of law enforcement officers. On page 47, we note that while the department does offer several wellness programs to support officer physical and mental health, we found opportunities for these services to be expanded for the betterment of its officers. 2021 and 2022 both saw increase increases in more significant workers' compensation claims from shootings, major injuries, and mental health distress. The police, de police and sheriff departments within the Department of Public Safety share two physical therapists be between its 2,300 employees. Because of this higher demand of these services, a third, of physical therapists was, a third physical therapist was added on a temporary basis in December of 2022. Additional funding would be needed to make this position more permanent. Figure 13 on page 48 compares the cost and amount of workers' compensation claims between the city and county of Denver as a whole and the police department from 2018 through December 2022. As you can see by the dark green and dark blue colors, uniformed officers within the police department make up roughly a quarter of the city's workers' compensation costs and claims each year. Continuing on pages 48 through 51 of the report, we include wellness data supporting the use of in-house physical therapists to help employees return to work faster, provide direct savings to injured employees, and save the city hundreds of thousands of dollars annually in potential overtime costs. For example, figure 14 on page 49 shows the average number of days it took a doctor to determine an employee within the Department of Safety was at 100% of their normal capacity to return to work. In 2022, the average recovery time for employees who used an outside provider was nearly two and a half weeks higher than those who used the department's in-house physical therapist. And the outlier in 2021 for in-house services occurred because of the lack of in-person physical therapy appointments due to the pandemic. Similarly, figure 15 on page 50 shows in-house physical therapy services helped employees return to work significantly faster than outside services. For example, employees returned to work 47% faster in 2022 when using in-house services. 
using in-house services further provides direct savings to injured employees as shown by figure 16 also on page 50 of the report. Since 2017, employees within the Department of Safety collectively saved between $110,000 and $270,000 a year by not seeing outside providers. Finally, on page 51 of the report, figure 17 shows that in-house services also saves the city money in potential overtime costs annually. Like many other police agencies across the nation, the Denver Police Department faces staffing issues, increasing the need for officers to work more overtime to account for staff shortages. This is expensive for the city because overtime pay equals 1.5 times an, an officer's regular rate of pay. Figure 17 also shows 2021 to be an exception due to the pandemic. The city missed out on $1.4 million in potential savings due to limited in-person physical therapy appointments. In addition to helping officers after an injury occurs, having more on-site physical therapy resources would also help officers with preventative care as in-house therapists can better understand the job-specific needs. Pages 51 through 53 discuss the lack of adequate mental health services. Psychological stress can have serious consequences to an officer's health, such as increased risk of post-traumatic stress disorder, major depression, substance abuse, and suicide. While the Department of Public Safety contracts with a local provider for mental health services, department officials told us Denver is one of the few cities without integrated on-site mental health services. Addressing this would be an additional cost to the city and require additional source of long-term funding. The department applied for a grant that would enable, enable it to hire two mental health therapists and a sports psychologist, but as of December 2022, uh, they had not heard whether the department had received the grant. Expanding access to mental health and wellness services could help public health and police department officials identify concerns earlier and help officers get the help that they need. Finally, beginning on page 53, we found department officials should improve overall awareness of its wellness programs. While the department's operations manual discusses some of the wellness programs, the department does not have a comprehensive document that includes descriptions and benefits of all of its wellness programs. In addition, the department does not track and monitor participation in all of its programs. A wellness survey provided to us showed many law enforcement officers were unaware of the wellness programs available to them. We provide three recommendations found on page 55 to address the finding three. I'll read recommendations 3.1 and 3.2 before opening up the floor for comments, and then I will finish with recommendation 3.3. Recommendation 3.1 says the Denver Police Department should partner with the Department of Public Safety to expand the physical therapy program and develop in-house mental health services for police officers, such as through budget requests, grant funding, and other means. The department agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of October 1st, 2023. Recommendation 3.2 says the Denver Police Department should formally document de the department's employee wellness programs and ensure they are effectively communicated across the department, including to potential uh, recruits. The department agreed and claims to have implemented this recommendation in April 2017, about five years before this audit began. We added an addendum to the department's response and implementation date on page 67 of the report to provide additional context to the reason for this recommendation. 
The department's written response on page 64 mentions several methods used to communicate its wellness programs and how the department is a national leader in its wellness offerings. However, neither of those points means the department has effectively communicated its programs, which is the purpose of this recommendation. As we note on page 54 of the report, responses to a wellness survey indicated many law enforcement officers were unaware of the wellness programs available. A comprehensive document that is effectively communicated would not only help existing officers and staff, but could also be used as a resource to attract recruits. I'll open the floor to comments. Thank you. Um, so definitely agree. You know, this is, uh, you know, officer wellness is uh, certainly very, very important to us. And so we certainly appreciate uh, the suggestions that uh, in where we can, we can do better. Um, as it relates to 3.1, um, you know, I think we do have a very robust uh, wellness program, resiliency program consisting of uh, mental and physical health care, physical therapy, um, family support, um, uh, significant encouragement of healthy lifestyle and habits. Um, as noted earlier, I, th I think we're a national leader as it relates to um, a comprehensive reintegration uh, program. Uh, recommendation 3.2, uh, again, certainly appreciate the fact that um, you've identified that maybe we haven't done enough to, to make folks aware of our, of our offerings. Um, uh, you know, I think that we, we have uh, done quite a bit in, in that arena. Um, it's actually one of the first lectures that recruits get when they enter the academy. You know, we continue to push out uh, information uh, primarily through email, letting people know what our offerings are, where they can go to connect with those offerings. Uh, there's a link on our uh, DPD webpage. Um, but again, certainly appreciate the, um, the the, the finding, you know, I, I recognize that very few people actually took that survey, but um, but certainly it, it, it could be informative that not enough people know about our services. So thank you. Okay, 3.3. Finally, recommendation 3.3 says the Denver Police Department should develop and document processes to monitor participation in its employee wellness programs. Information collected should include, but not be limited to, the number of officers participating in the program and the number of referrals by a supervisor or colleague. Information collected should be used to evaluate the success of the program and make improvements. Information collected could also be used to support funding requests. Again, the department agreed with this recommendation and said it was implemented in April of 2017 to which we did develop an addendum found on pages 67 and 68 to provide additional context related to our finding and this recommendation. The department's written responses on page 64 discuss how they are still in the process of building an additional tool to help identify officers who may need wellness resources based on their workloads, alluding to, rec that, alluding to that the recommendation has not yet been implemented. The department's responses also mention how some wellness program data cannot be tracked due to privacy issues. We are not asking the department to track personally identifying information of participants. Rather, the purpose of this recommendation is for the department to develop a way to monitor levels of participation to evaluate the success and effectiveness of its programs so improvements can be made as needed. Having such data may also help when the department officials must ask city leaders for more resources or continued funding. I will now open the floor for comments. Jane. Thank you. So you're correct. I mean, we, we do have uh, more work to do here. Um, and as you mentioned, we do have a project 
um, building an automated tool that will screen officers for compassion fatigue and things like that. And so um, uh, that is underway. But we do and, and have, I think, significantly um, uh, recorded participation in our wellness programs. We have a uh, wellness rewards program in, in which people earn points for, uh, you know, taking various um, wellness steps. And then those points, uh, ultimately, depending on how many points you earn in a given year, can, uh, can be kind of uh, converted to time off. Uh, so again, something that we recognize that we need to, to do, we have been doing, and certainly we can continue to improve on that. Finding four. Last one. <laughs> <laughs> Our final finding begins on page 56 of the report. The Denver Police Department has inconsistent processes to monitor officer time worked. Specifically, the department has not documented its processes to monitor whether officers work more than 64 hours a week. The police department's operations manual contains several requirements that limit the number of hours an officer can work, including the requirement that officers cannot work more than 64 hours in a week without an exception by the police chief. We found the department does have processes in place to review time cards on a weekly basis to ensure officers comply with these requirements. But what we found was that the department was not consistent in how it applied which time codes to exclude from an officer's total time worked when we analyzed timekeeping entries between January 1st of 2017 and October 15th of 2022. Appendix B on page 74 of the report contains details and methodology related to this testing. We found that the department has not documented its processes for reviewing time card violations, which could result in officers working more time, time, more hours than they should. We provide one recommendation, which can be found on page 57. The Denver Police Department should document and communicate its processes in the department's operations manual, including a formal methodology for reviewing time cards to ensure compliance with work time requirements. Processes should detail all potential work codes that impact an officer's compliance with daily and weekly work limits. The department agreed to this recommendation with an implementation date of January 23, 2023. We added an addendum which can be found on page 68 to provide additional context for this recommendation in uh, response to the police department's written response on page 64. While department officials said this recommendation had been implemented in January of 2023, when they updated its manual and policy for total hours worked, this finding relates to the department's need to document, it, document its review processes and the time codes used in that review. As we mentioned on page 56, we found that neither the process nor the time codes used in the department by the department to determine compliance were documented. No matter the number of hours worked or whether the chief grants an exception, the, the department should document its review process, including the time codes used to ensure compliance with its policy, which is just the purpose of this, which is the purpose of this recommendation. And this concludes our presentation and I'll open up to the floor. Chief. Well, thank you once again. Um, I, I do want to start by saying it's important to note that those individual cases that were uh, identified during the audit, um, uh, we examined those and found that there were no compliance issues. Um, we have our updated our operations manual as of January of this year. Uh, we do have our secondary employment. We have consistently had our secondary employment coordinator uh, completing weekly audits, and now um, that's been an additional responsibility that's been added to our uh, Professional Development and Accountability Bureau. Okay, that concludes the briefing. I don't know if you have any 
final comments, closing comments? I do not, other than, again, as I've said, I think throughout this process, I certainly appreciate uh, you know, the opportunity, certainly appreciate the work that was done to identify uh, areas where we can uh, improve and continue to grow and, and get better, so thank you. And I wanna say I appreciate what you and the men and women of the police department do every day. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <coughs> All right. <coughs> Our next briefing is a follow-up report on the airport parking shuttle system. audit that was issued in August 2021. Our manager, Sean Wysong, he's not with us today, but I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Tyson, the lead, and he'll go ahead and start introducing the team and then start with going through the report. Yes. All right. Good morning, auditor and committee members. My name is Tyson Fasone. I am the lead auditor on the follow-up as we met. Uh, uh, Sonia Montano, and we also have uh, the audit manager, Sean Wysong, could not join us today. However, I am joined uh, at the table with the two senior auditors assigned to this follow-up, uh, John Michael Steiner and Juan Gomez, Jr. We would like to thank the staff in the Parking Commercial Transportation Division for their assistance throughout our follow-up report. Okay, uh, why don't we, Mr. Washington, would you like to introduce yourself and staff? And if you have any opening comments, this would be a good time for that. Sure, sure. Um, Phil Washington, the CEO of uh, Denver International Airport. Uh, Mr. Auditor uh, and team uh, and auditors, uh, thank you for having us here. Uh, I am joined by, uh, to my left, Steve Jakewith. He is our uh, chief uh, operating officer. Uh, to my right, immediate right, is Mark Nagel, um, senior manager uh, of uh, parking management. Uh, Will McDonald is our Director of Parking Management, and Mike Bill, who is our Deputy CFO. Uh, again, we are uh, happy to be here. Um, thank you for the work that you've done, and we look forward to uh, responding to the questions. Um, Mark Nagel will uh, likely take the lead on the responses, uh, he and uh, Will McDonald, um, as in, in terms of the specific uh, recommendations uh, and implementations and uh, the way forward. So um, we're, we're ready to get started. Okay, All let's right. continue. Excellent. ABM Aviation Inc., formerly known as ABM Parking Services, operates the parking shuttle system at the Denver International Airport, which transports the public and airport employees for free between the terminal and concourses and several airport parking lots. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, ABM shuttle buses served an average of about 6.9 million passengers a year. 
The original audit was published in August 2021 with two objectives. The first was to assess whether Denver International Airport's parking and commercial transportation section has adequate controls to efficiently and effectively manage its parking shuttle services contract. The second objective was whether the procurement process for the parking shuttle contract aligns with city rules and leading practices and whether the airport's outsourcing of the service was efficient and economical. The audit reviewed the parking and transportation section's monitoring practices for Denver International Airport's parking shuttle services contract and the section's process to procure these services. We reviewed documentation to support the section's monitoring practices and analyzed shuttle bus data from February 2017 through December 2020. We also reviewed documents related to the shuttle services contract procurement process from January 2008 through December 2020. The original audit had three findings. First, we found the Denver International Airport inadequately monitors its parking shuttle services contract and the contract lacks some key provisions. Second, the airport's and ABM parking services practices do not sufficiently ensure ABM complies with the parking shuttle services contract. And lastly, we found the airport needs to improve procurement practices for parking shuttle services. The original audit issued in August 2021 proposed 22 recommendations. Of those, the airport fully implemented eight and partially implemented five, but eight recommendations were not implemented. The airport disagreed with one recommendation in the original audit report. As found on page one of the follow-up report, finding one was that Denver International Airport inadequately monitors its parking shuttle services contract and the contract lacks some key provisions. We made seven recommendations for finding one. Four recommendations were fully implemented, two were partially implemented, and the airport disagreed with one recommendation, so no action was taken. We will begin by discussing the fully implemented recommendations for finding one. Found on page one of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.1 to develop contract monitoring policies and procedures was fully implemented. The airport's parking and commercial transportation division, again, formerly known as the parking and transportation section, documented in policies and procedures the contract administrator's roles and responsibilities for monitoring the parking shuttle services contract. Found on page two, recommendation 1.5 to establish managerial oversight was fully implemented. The parking and commercial transportation division developed policies and procedures for its director to review the contract administrator's contract monitoring responsibilities. On page three of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.6 to incorporate information from other resources was fully implemented. The division documented in policies and procedures that landside service agents assist in monitoring the parking shuttle contract. And page four of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.7 to receive, review, and approve the operations manual was fully implemented. The Parking and Commercial Transportation Division originally provided ABM Parking Services Shuttle Operations Manual, reviewed, revised, and approved in September 2022. A later version of the manual was revised in February 2023. By documenting the contract administrator's roles and responsibilities for monitoring the parking shuttle services contract, the procedures require the daily review of bus service levels and customer feedback. Further, the new procedures require the administrator to review a series of monthly reports related to accidents, customer correspondence, wages, and driver training, as well as provide letters attesting to compliance with contract requirements. 
Further, new procedures document the requirements for the Director of Parking and Commercial Transportation to review the contract administrator's duties. On a weekly basis, the Director reviews the contract administrator's daily and weekly monitoring work orders to ensure no work order, or, excuse me, no work order is more than seven calendar days old. The Director must document these reviews in a tracker and discuss them with the contract administrator. Our assessment of the director's review tracker for January 2023 showed the director completed the required reviews. Division staff explained that landside service agents assist with monitoring the parking shuttle contract because they are already regularly in the airport parking lots. Therefore, landside agents are to perform inspections of parking facilities with bus stops and observation of buses. The inspections consist of monitoring bus route roadway conditions for hazards, and service-related aspects like whether the driver assisted with passengers' luggage or if the bus sat too long. Mm. And parking and commercial transportation employees said they and ABM Aviation review the operations manual annually, but revise specific documents in the manual as needed. Our assessment found the operations manual contained all the procedures required by the contract, and the procedures in included notes showing airport staff requested changes and updates. These changes include updates to the lift procedures used to board and deboard passengers with disabilities and to the busing contingency plan to include contact information for current parking and commercial transportation staff. I will now pause for comments and questions from the audit committee or department representatives. Bill, any comments yes. from? Uh, yes, I, I would uh, ask Mark Nagel to respond to um, uh, the report and the findings as well. Thank you. So there, um, with regards to the follow-up report, um, Dan believes that we have fully, uh, partially, excuse me, out of the 22 recommendations and the one that we disagreed, the one that we disagreed with, Dan believes that we've fully implemented 15 of those recommendations and partially implemented five. Um, there is the one that we disagreed to and then one that we did agree to that we did not fully implement um, or partially implement in the follow-up report. Our team has been um, very focused on this audit report that was completed in August of 2021. Um, I've been in the division since May of 2022. Will McDonald, the director of parking, has been in our division since August of 2022. And our program administrator, Lisa Ditburner, has been in our division since November of 2022. This has been our sole, one of our many focuses to get this right. Um, we believe very strongly that we have made great strides in the oversight of this contract to hold not only ourselves accountable, but the contractor accountable to all these recommendations, the contract, and the standard operating procedures. So maybe we could focus on particular recommendations where we think you did not implement and you may think you have implemented. And ours is as of a point in time, which <coughs> you know, today is further in the future. Absolutely. May I proceed? Yes, thank you. 
Beginning on page five of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.2 to develop monitoring procedures for payment and contract fees was partially implemented. The Parking and Commercial Transportation Division provided us with the Contract Compliance Group's invoice review policies and procedures that are adequate to monitor the payment issues identified in our original audit. However, these procedures do not address the issues identified in the original audit that contract fees were not reviewed to ensure they were necessary and related to parking shuttle services when fees were adjusted in response to lower passenger demand during the COVID-19 pandemic. On page six, recommendation 1.3 to update contract provisions was partially implemented. The division amended its contract with ABM Aviation Inc. to add a provision saying that additional employment by ABM employees must not cause them to exceed federal driving hour limits. Further, ABM will provide letters of attestation confirming its employees have not violated the hour requirements and that ABM is adhering to contract requirements for employee background checks, shift limits, and drug testing. But neither the amendments nor the original contract contain provisions explaining the requirements for bus driver shift limits, background checks, or drug testing. Without fully implementing these recommendations, expenses included in the contract fees may be unnecessary to operate the parking shuttle system, and bus drivers may not meet requirements for background checks, shift limits, or drug and alcohol testing. Found on page seven of the follow-up report, the Parking and Commercial Transportation Division disagreed with recommendation 1.4 from the original audit to ensure the update of all subcontracts to include required provisions from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Therefore, the division took no action to implement this recommendation. So why don't we pause for a minute and see, is this where you partially implemented or you think you fully implemented on 1.2 and 1.3? Yes, thank you, Auditor. Uh, recommendation 1.2. DEN believes we fully implemented it. DEN did develop and implement a process to review the monthly invoices by the contractor's standard operating procedures. DEN, working with ABM, issues an approved monthly budget in-service hour busing plan to include daily average hours for each route to ABM. DEN validates compliance by reviewing daily activity reports by day, by hour, and by route comparing those totals to the monthly invoice as well as in-service hour monthly report submitted by ABM each month. Any discrepancies from the DEN approved in-service hour busing plan is noted and discussed with ABM and performance deductions are charged if necessary. The contract fees are billed in accordance with Exhibit E which are updated each February per the contract, section 4.4, adjustment of fees. The fees were adjusted in response to the COVID-19 pandemic because there was a decrease in public travelers and employees working at the airport, which is covered under section 8.1 of the contract titled types of operations, stating routes may be changed only upon prior written approval of the director. The routes may be changed from time to time by the director to meet increase or decrease service requirements for the airport shuttle bus service. The compliance review team reviews associated fees when auditing the invoice to ensure the fees charged meet the amount set forth in the current exhibit E. Tyson, you have any 
Yeah, um, it's, 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 it's not a question of whether or not the fees are being validated against, against Exhibit E. The, the, the point of the recommendation was to determine whether or not the fees included in Exhibit E are necessary and appropriate for the shuttle contract. So there is a maximum contract amount and the airport is managing within that contract. Uh, however, uh, that maximum contract amount has not been validated to ensure those fees are necessary and appropriate. So it's, it's, it's not that the airport isn't staying within the contract amount, uh, it's just that the contract amount was set when the COVID-19 occurred. Um, airport traffic went down and so uh, fees were, were comp uh, negotiated with ABM um, to basically make them whole. I don't want to generalize, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, those fees were the, are the fees that we're discussing um, that have never been, again, validated as appropriate and necessary. So our, our response was specific to recommendation 1.1, which talked about develop and document contract monitoring policies and procedures and payments made to ABM. Exhibit E, those fees were outlined in the contract when the contract was initiated. So we were following the contract. Sure, but the, the recommendation was to evaluate the fees that are in the contract, not to follow the contract. Yeah. No, we, we, we fully understand. I think it was uh, perhaps some uh, confusion as to what uh, the recommendation actually was, sure. but we, we, uh, we accept that. Okay. okay, why don't we continue? All right. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, had a transition. I will now pause for comments. We did that. Uh, thank you. I will actually now hand it over uh, to Juan, who, who will uh, take over from here. Yes, sir. Sorry about that. Right. Thank you, Tyson. Um, we will now discuss the implementation status of the Finding 2 recommendations. At the top of page uh, 9 of the follow-up report, Finding 2 is the airports and ABM parking services practices do not sufficiently ensure ABM complies with the parking shuttle services contract. 11 recommendations were made for finding two. Four recommendations were fully implemented, three were partially implemented, and four were not implemented. We will begin by discussing the fully implemented recommendations for finding two. Found on page nine of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.2 to update uh, contract language was fully implemented. The standard operating procedures and contract amendment align, with the, uh, align the contract's required service levels and the corresponding policies used to monitor the performance standard. The procedures also explain how and when airport staff should enforce the contract service level requirements. On page 10 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.5 to review and update policies and procedures was fully implemented. Therefore, provided customer correspondence policies and procedures uh, that include a process to review and update the document. The document also includes a revision log to track revision dates and the names of those involved. On page 11 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.6 to clarify the time frame for responding to customers was fully implemented. The airport determined an acceptable maximum amount of time a customer should wait before receiving a response to their feedback. And the airport's customer correspondence policies and procedures state that all customers will receive a response to their feedback uh, from ABM within three business days. Response times may extend to five business days when additional information is needed. Recommendation 2.7 to ensure contractor policies and procedures align with the contract is discussed on page uh, 12 and was also fully implemented. 
ABM's customer correspondence procedures are copied directly from the airport's procedures with additional information that shows how ABM's processes align with the contract language. As a result of the updates, contract language and policies and procedures are consistent and reflective of actual practices. Further, procedures define the assessment of liquidated damages, a process to review and updated, update division policies, and the log and review of customer complaints with responses to customers within three days. I'll pause here for any comments and questions from the audit committee or agency. Any comments? Uh, nothing really. Um, you know, we are um, uh, doing the best and we'll continue to do the best we can to, to fully implement all of these. So thank you for, um, for acknowledging the ones that, that we have fully implemented. Appreciate that. Continue. At the bottom of page 12 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.4 to establish an oversight process, or I apologize, uh, we will now discuss uh, partially Im implemented recommendations for finding two. I jumped ahead a little bit, but um, so at the bottom of page 12 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.4 to establish an oversight process for customer feedback was partially implemented. The airport provided the contract administrator review policy and procedure, which establishes a process for the director of parking and commercial transportation to review the contract administrator's activities related to customer feedback. We examined the director's contract administrator review log for January 2023 and found it to be in accordance with the policy and procedure. The airport's customer correspondence um, review policy and procedure do not include the process to review the activities of the contract administrator. However, the standalone director review policy and procedure achieves the purpose described in recommendation 2.4. On page 14 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.8 to improve tracker accuracy was partially implemented. The airport provided customer correspondence data from ABM's route manager system uh, that was tested for reliability, completeness, and accuracy. The number of rec uh, records with incomplete and inaccurate fields is minimal compared to the number of records provided, but we identified instances of data entry errors blank data fields, and failure to respond to customer feedback within the timeframes required by policy. Further, we found records where the airport's recorded response to, uh, is dated prior to the date the customer's correspondence was received. We learned some fields in ABM's route manager system are not mandatory. Um, are although, uh, while we learned some fields in ABM's route manager system are not mandatory, the airport did not specify whether the system prevents illogical date entries, such as selecting a year that has not yet occurred. We also reviewed the customer complaint log for January 2023 and found evidence, that the contract um, evidence of the contract administrator's review. However, we found instances where the response to customers exceeded the policy and these uh, were not identified in the review. On page 16, recommendation 2.11. Why, why don't we deal with that recommendation and its implementation uh, status? So I can speak to 2.4. Um, so at the time, yes, it was partially implemented. Den has since updated the policy as of April 18th, and the contractor administrator reviews the policy and the customer correspondence policy to ensure recommendations made from external reviews are addressed or implemented. In recommendation 2.8, um, which you've noted as partially implemented. Den believes that we have implemented that. Per the initial recommendation, 
the audit performed in August 2021, then implemented controls to ensure the data in the section's customer correspondence tractor is completed and accurate as stated in Section 8 of the Standard Operating Procedures. The contract administrator reviews customer correspondence monthly to ensure total correspondence matches the total ABM report. The information shared with the auditor was the contractor's contract administrator's customer correspondence spreadsheet reviewed at the end of the month. There was one discrepancy noted, which was discussed between ABM and Denver and revised in the ABM database. 2.11. Juan, do you want to comment on 2.8? Yeah. Um, so during our testing earlier this year, uh, we asked the airport if data entry errors that are identified during uh, monthly reconciliations are corrected in ABM's uh, customer correspondence system. And if so, um, does the provided customer correspondence data set um, <coughs> include any monthly reconciliation corrections? Um, the airport um, answered that the data set is updated by ABM's customer, updated in ABM's customer service system after discrepancies are discussed with ABM. So. Um, the customer correspondence data set from ABM's route manager's uh, system that was provided to us from the airport included records from November 1st of uh, 2021 to October 31st of 2022. And uh, our reliability, data reliability testing was based on this data set. And um, corrections made during this time frame should have been included in that data set, uh, which would mean that the remaining discrepancies that we identified in our testing uh, would be those that were undetected during the airport's review process. So it's mainly based on the data that was pulled from that uh, route right. manager system. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, you want to start on 2.11? Yeah. Okay. Um, on page 16, uh, recommendation 2.11 <coughs> to update uh, policies and procedures for invoice review was partially implemented. The airport provided invoice payment procedures that assigned the responsibility of monitoring specific invoice provisions of the contract and standard operating procedures to the contract compliance group. We examined a daily operation review and monthly invoice for one day in January of 2023 and found that they were signed and matched as required in the policy. Additionally, our review of the January 2023 monthly invoice showed policy compliance uh, for one non-routine expense that was verified as required. Neither the director's uh, review policy nor customer correspondence policy includes steps to ensure recommendations made from external reviews are addressed and implemented when agreed to. Without an established process, identified weak points and customer service issues may uh, be left unaddressed. Furthermore, the airport continues to use unreliable data. Uncorrected and undetected errors were still identified in our testing, and ABM's route manager system does not have controls in place to prevent these errors from occurring again in the future. Customer correspondence data may be incomplete and inaccurate, which could inhibit the timely resolution of customer complaints required in policies. Lastly, the airport cannot verify information submitted by ABM, including in-service hours, until a new system is fully implemented. I'll pause here for questions and comments from the odd committee and agency. Okay, 2.11. So I, we agree that that was partially implemented okay. under 211. Right. Are we gonna talk about the ones that you believe are not implemented? We certainly are. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we will now move on to the not implemented recommendations uh, for finding two. 
On page 17 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.1 to enforce review of service levels was not implemented. The airport confirmed that only one route was used to monitor all bus route service levels. However, the standard operating procedures define service levels for nine routes. The singular route used to monitor service levels is evaluated using Gatekeeper, a system that airport staff in the original audit said is subject to errors. A new system, LightX, has a GPS function to monitor all routes, but the system was not expected to be fully implemented until June 2023. On page uh, 18 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.3 to develop and implement controls for data accuracy was not implemented. Since June 2022, reports to monitor service level agreements have only been available for one route. As noted, a new system is being implemented to, to determine compliance with service levels, but the system was not expected to be fully implemented until June 2023. At the bottom of page 18 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.9 to update budget and development policies and procedures was not implemented. The budget development procedures requires hours of daily bus service um, to be recorded by month and route for the year. However, until the new system, LightX, is fully implemented, there is no system in place to verify the actual number of bus service hours. On page 19 of the follow-up report, recommendation 2.10 to develop and implement controls for data accuracy was not implemented. We asked how hours billed are verified by staff as being actual um, hours in service but we received an updated but unapproved policy that was revised the day after our request for clarification. While the policy described operational observations and audits via closed circuit television, as well as looking at bus entrance and exit data, um, exit data for two routes, this response did not explain how build hours are recorded and verified to be in service hours. Because the airport's new shuttle bus system uh, was not fully implemented, the airport cannot ensure the accuracy and reliability of recorded shuttle bus data, such as bus location and number of bus passengers. Without accurate and reliable data, the airport cannot enforce service levels across routes, nor can the airport uh, verify build hours as actual in-service hours. I'll pause here for questions and comments from the audit committee and agency. Okay, one of these you agree that was not implemented, but there are others, there are others that you disagree with us. Correct. Um, so I'll start with recommendation 2.1. Um, we believe it's been partially implemented per the contract and the current standard operating procedure. Then is only required to monitor service levels for one route, the Pikes Peak route using Gatekeeper at level five east and west of the commercial interest at the main terminal and to charge liquidated damages if necessary. However, in addition to Lytics, which we just recently had access to, Designa, which is our parking revenue control system, and field observation. Den has recently um, finalized our standard operating procedures, which must be mutually agreed to by ABM, to include technologies with Gatekeeper to validate service levels of the busing operation on all nine routes. So we're we're not depending on one piece of technology to identify this in-service hours. We're using multiple pieces of technologies to assure the buses are on their routes and delivering their in-service hours. Recommendation 2.3. Um, we believe it's been partially implemented. Even though DEN did not get access to ABM's Lytics system until April 27, 2023, 
then has been using other controls, as I've recently mentioned, um, gatekeeper, the Cigna, and field observations. Um, these other controls help us um, determine the bus entering and exiting the parking lots accurately to ensure proper service levels are being met on each route. The SOPs have been updated and um, are in full force as of today for all nine, nine routes. And then 2.9, I'll have Will McDonald address 2.9. So recommendation 2.9, the initial recommendation of the audit performed in August 2021, uh, recommended that DEN update its budget development policies and procedures to include steps to review whether the shuttle contractor's busing plan is based on expected passenger demand. Um, as our budget development policy and procedures provided on December 6, 2022 states, the Transportation Systems Department will work with the shuttle bus contractor to develop an annual budget for the following contract year. This is submitted in March based on the OND passenger forecast for the forthcoming year. Due to the amount of time between when the first budget is submitted and when the annual approved budget is implemented, which is approximately nine months, DEN requires the contractor to submit an updated monthly busing plan per section 9.2 of the contract to include a daily and weekly schedule to detail the level of service and service interval for each route. This is expected to be based on passenger demand for the following month and projected demand based on historical passenger information. Per the monthly busing plan, then reviews the plan and either approves it or disapproves it with changes to ensure anticipated passenger demand will be met. In addition to using OND forecast as a benchmark, we have formulated a forecasting model based on expected parking traffic that is shown to be incredibly accurate. When pairing expected parking traffic with historical and current passenger numbers per section 6C in the contract, which requires the contractor to provide passenger count by route, by hour, by day, and direction of travel, we can calculate down to the hour the number of anticipated passenger volume based on very accurate vehicle account counts, which allow us to flex our schedule and provide maximum capacity for each route based on daily, monthly, and seasonal changes in demand. The information from our forecasting model has been carefully tracked between January 2023 and April 2023, and DEN's forecast for parking and shuttle passenger volume has fallen within one to 3% accuracy based on forecasts. After the forecast model was proven successful in April of 2023, DEN added these additional steps to the Transportation Systems Department budget development policy and procedures as an additional step to review the monthly busing plan and expected passenger demand. This monthly forecast and in-service hours are audited based on actuals that occur during each month for weekly, daily, and by hour per route. So um, could maybe Juan or uh, Tyson, you could explain where we think yeah. it is not partially implemented. Yeah, right? since there are three, let me just right. start uh, at 2-1. Um, 2-1, you know, when we're looking at determining whether something's been implemented, partially implemented or not implemented, um, there is a threshold. You know, we are trying to determine if risk has been mitigated, mm -hmm. right? So. When, um, with recommendation 2.1, uh, 
um, by monitoring service levels for one of nine routes when there are service levels for nine routes. Uh, that does not meet our threshold of mitigating that risk. So uh, that is how we came to not implement it. Um, steps, sequences are in place to complete that, that uh, to fulfill that obligation. It's just we couldn't test it when we were doing our work. Okay. So that's, that's just a, a difference uh, of perspective there. Um, on recommendation 2.3, um, you know, the recommendation specifically says that uh, implement controls to ensure its preferred system, uh, if it doesn't have to be one, uh, to monitor the parking shuttle's contract service level requirements, record shuttle location and service levels accurately and reliably. So we recognize that uh, Lytx, Lytx, I'm not sure, uh, it, it may be the system uh, going forward, maybe the system of choice. Uh, there are other systems in use. Uh, the original audit report does acknowledge that Gatekeeper uh, has errors, so that is one system that has errors. Uh, Lydex or Lydex was not uh, in place at the time that we completed our testing, um, and I don't think we were aware of Designa, but from my initial research this morning, Designa seems to be a payment system. I'm not sure how that manages shuttle bus parking, but point is we weren't provided that system or information regarding that. So based upon the, 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 the information and the knowledge we had at that time, we could not assess that um, shuttle bus location is being tracked accurately and reliably um, and currently. So same with service levels. Um, I could pause if there's any uh, additional comments. Just one comment. So Designa is our parking revenue control system. So the gates that allow buses and passengers and employees in the lot and exit the lot. Um, that is monitored with an ABI system, automatic vehicle identification system, which all the buses have. So we can track every bus as they enter and exit the lot. So we can predict, well, we know for fact, when that bus enters the lot, Pikes Peak lot, for example, how long they stay there and when they exit, and we can do that for all nine routes. And that was mentioned during our conversations and in emails back and forth during the follow-up, but maybe it was just missed. What well, I... And you're correct, Lytics was not available at the time. So, so just, just to clarify, um, shuttle location, is being verified by when they enter and exit a lot. Yes. But all the other locations around the lot, lots are not being monitored. Tracked on the roadways, no. Okay. Um, I, I, it may be an issue of semantics, but, but that's an aspect of location as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's not just when it enters and leaves a lot. Yeah, and that's what Lytics addresses. And, and it's now installed. So I, I think uh, maybe the, the, the framework, the path is, has been laid uh, but again, we couldn't test that when we were completing our follow-up. Yeah, Ms. Alder, if I could. Um, we, we acknowledge that you are dealing with a date and time. Correct. Uh, we acknowledge that. Um, uh, you know, we are, um, you know, I've, you know, addressed and, and, and asked uh, our folks to uh, continuously improve on what we're doing, regardless of whether we're having an audit or not. Uh, and so I think, um, you know, I acknowledge that date and time that you're working on. I acknowledge the continuous improvement that, that I've directed our team to do regardless of what's happening. Um, but we'll reconcile that at some point. But I just want you to know that I fully, um, 
uh, acknowledge uh, where you're coming from on that date and time. These things were not in place when you came the first time, uh, but we're constantly improving as best we can, not just in this area, but all areas. Excellent. 2.9. Uh, 2.11, I think, is where we're, we're our, oh, no, you're right. 2.9, thank you. Uh, just at 2.9, so a couple of different things. Um, so just for those in the audience, um, this is discussing uh, the steps to review whether the shuttle contractor's busing plan is based on expected passenger demand. Um, the procedures direct staff to develop the annual budget using the airline originating and departing forecast. So that's, that's airline passengers. Um, not, 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 not shuttle passengers. Uh, but we received a monthly master report and a spreadsheet with bus passenger data, not airline passenger data, collected by drivers using route manager, which was previously identified in the audit report as lacking sufficient reli data reliability controls. Further procedures direct staff to include the average daily hours, but there's currently no method to effectively verify bus in-service hours. Um, so the audit risk remains that inaccurate information could impact the results of analyses assessing the number of shuttles needed to meet passenger demand. I will comment um, that uh, since we issued our, our report, you, you have provided some additional steps, uh, formulating a forecast model based on expected parking traffic that is shown to be very accurate. Um, as far as I know, that was never presented to us and maybe developed following our work. So the forecasting model was in the process during the conversations back and forth. Obviously, we wanted to verify the accuracy of the numbers. And, and while we understand that O&D is generally used within the, the, the airport realm, um, we wanted to include more information that we have very accurate uh, parking numbers. And these are obviously vehicles that are entering and leaving those lots. So we can incredibly accurately forecast exactly when people are getting on a shuttle and when they need to get back to their vehicles um, from that information we receive from Designa um, that shows when they are coming and going. So the combination of, of that data um, has, has greatly uh, increased our capacity um, to make very accurate representations of what's going to happen. And those steps were in process when we were completing the follow-up. So, so it, obviously, you know, we wanted to verify the accuracy of the information before we uh, presented it to be fully accurate. But just to be clear, it, we, we, we didn't have that information. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, so again, it's just an instance of uh, a point in time. Um, you know, I, I, I see the framework here. We just couldn't test it. That's just right. That's, that's simply um, it. And if we conducted the audit or the follow-up today, we would have different results. But you had more time to work on some of these things. And I Correct. appreciate you continuing to work on even things that we don't agree on. Yep. So. Thank you. Um, John Michael will now discuss the implementation status of recommendations for finding three. Thanks, Juan. On page 21, finding three states, the airport needs to improve procurement practices for parking shuttle services. We provided four recommendations for finding three. The city did not implement any of those recommendations. As stated on page 21, recommendation 3.1 to perform a cost-benefit analysis was not implemented. Parking and transportation staff said the expectation is that leaders in place at the time of a new procurement will work with the airport to publish a competitive request for proposals. But the airport's parking and transportation division does not currently have a procedure in place to periodically perform a cost-benefit analysis of parking shuttle services. On page 21, recommendation 3.2 to ensure fair contract procurement was not implemented. 
The original audit report found the airport did not procure their bus tracking system in an open competitive process or involve the business technology section. During our follow-up work, we were provided a second contract amendment between the airport and ABM. However, we were not given the third contract amendment, which we located during our work. The third amendment was still pending approval to extend the contract for an additional year, and we were told the term extension will allow time to procure a new contract through a competitive process. The third amendment also requires ABM to provide GPS technology for all buses, but the airport's business technology section did not review or approve the new system. As we pointed out in the follow-up report, the airport's own technology and cloud services procedures say business technology sh should review new technologies regardless of who implements the system, including technology provided by third parties. The airport told us if a new vendor was awarded a future shuttle bus contract, the new vendor would have been required to have a bus tracking system operational within 30 days. Meanwhile, ABM will have about 11 months from July 2022 to June 2023 to install and implement a GPS system. So the third amendment extends the term of a contract and gives ABM significantly more time to install and implement this technology than a competitor would have been given for the same service. On page 22, recommendation 3.3 to enforce the contract amendment policy was not implemented. As I mentioned when discussing recommendation 3.2, we found the parking and transportation division had a pending third contract amendment with ABM to provide GPS technology for all buses, but we learned the business technology section was not involved in procuring the new system. The policies provided by parking and commercial transportation say business technology should review services provided by third parties for concerns such as security and business technologies must perform specified activities regardless of who implements a technology service. Further, policy requires presentation of all required information needed for a fair and equitable procurement process, including information technology, but the contract amendments executive summary does not include the GPS technology. On page 24, recommendation 3.4 to improve internal controls for technology procurement was not implemented. Our original audit found the airport extended the contract with ABM to procure bus tracking technology in a non-competitive process without involving the airport's business technology section. As we discuss in recommendation 3.2 and 3.3 of the follow-up report, the contract procurement guidelines say the airport intends to provide fair and transparent procurement processes, but it did not follow these policies for procuring technology and shuttle bus services. The amendment extends the term of the contract and ABM will receive more time to install and implement its GPS technology than a competitor would have received for a similar service. As I mentioned, the business technology section did not review the bus tracking system. Without a procedure in place to periodically perform a cost-benefit analysis of parking shuttle services, the airport risks not procuring the most cost-efficient services. And without internal controls in place to enforce existing policies and procedures, the airport also risks that future procurements will not be conducted in an open, fair, and competitive process. Uh, that concludes our presentation. I'll now open the floor for any other comments and questions. Okay, comments on what we think we're not in. Yeah, so thank you. Um, so for recommendation 3.1, we believe it was partially implemented. Um, 
cost-benefit analysis is conducted monthly per the monthly busing operations plan as outlined in section 9.2 of the contract. Um, the follow-up um, audit review questions from February 27, 20, advised Dan should establish a process to periodically perform cost-benefit analysis of parking structure, uh, shuttle services, methods, and related decisions such as operations management, ownership of buses, and the average age of the buses and desired service levels. Regarding the ownership of the buses and the average age, the contract was amended in November 13, 2020, section 7.3 to delete the statement, shuttle bus fleet and airport shall not be greater than seven years. The vehicle requirement set forth in the contract outlined fleet standards and the minimums. The language in the contract will be addressed in the next procurement um, to ensure that periodic cost benefit analysis is completed. So we agree it's not fully implemented, but we believe we're doing partial implementation of a cost benefit analysis each and every month to ensure that we're getting the services that we're paying for. Um, recommendation 3.2. Just pause for a minute, please. Uh, I think we might have a different definition of cost-benefit analysis yeah. than you have. Is that fair? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's All fair. 3.2. 3.2. So DEN believes we've implemented this. Um, DEN uses its business management uh, services team for our contracting processes to include outreach events to ensure maximum competition and that it is a fair and open process. Den Parking and Commercial Transportation initiated the ABM Third Amendment to create additional time, one additional year, to allow for adequate time to procure the next uh, parking shuttle bus service contract in a fair and open process. That Third Amendment was specific to adding the year, adding the money to cover that additional year, and re reimbursement of the driver training program. It did not include the LITIC system. Um, the LITIC system is a system that is owned and operated by ABM at other sites, and they offered to allow us to use that to help meet our in-service requirements without any cost to the airport and that, um, and so that was separate from the Third Amendment. Tyson? Yeah, there's a couple things to unpack there. Uh, first, um, you've said several times, uh, both today and previously, that uh, Lytics was not part of the contract. It, it absolutely is part of the contract. It is one of the contract terms uh, that the contractor shall provide and install a global positioning system. So it's not named, but it is specifically a part of the contract. That's true. Correct. Um, and so the, 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 the component of, of the, uh, well, too many notes, uh, fair and open process, there we go. Um, my apologies, bear with me. I have too many notes at, uh, ahead of me. Yes, okay, sorry, I'm all over the place. Uh, it just said that it's a fair and open process. So, so uh, two things. One, um, GPS is part of the contract. 
we weren't provided the contract, despite conversing with you, the project manager, uh, regarding contracts. So I'm sure, not sure that's entirely uh, uh, open. Um, but the fair and open aspect, uh, the, the, the hang-up that, that we have, that the reason we found this not implemented, is simply that uh, ABM has received 11 months to install this system. Whether they're giving it to the airport for free or not, uh, doesn't matter. It is now a part of the contract that GPS is required, um, a required system. So a new competitor, whoever that may be, would show up uh, uh, and have 30 days to implement the same system that your current contractor had 11 months. Okay, understand. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the difference point. of opinion. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, 3.3. Uh, mostly, but um, just that 3.3 uh, is, 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 is largely contingent. Um, um, again, uh, while ABM is providing uh, the system to the airport, um, the IT policies, two policies that we received, um, specifically say that cloud products or IT services provided by third parties outside of DEN should also be reviewed in greater detail by submitting a request um, to the uh, business technologies section. So um, again, the, the policies that you provided do not differentiate whether business technologies should only view uh, technology that is installed specifically by the airport, but all new technology that's at the airport. So um, that, that's just the, the difference there. Understand. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. 3.4? Yes, sir. And 3.4 uh, is, is largely uh, I I I in the same aspect. Um, this just shows that um, the, the, in addition to business tech technologies, is supposed to review the GPS technology, um, any new technology. It's just that the contract executive summary, um, per the airport's policies and procedures, uh, should disclose uh, that new technology is a component of the contract, um, and the contract executive summary does not uh, include that component. So um, just again, just a minor difference of opinion there. Yep, thank you. Okay, that concludes the follow-up report. Uh, any closing comments? Uh, yes, Mr. Auditor, and I'm gonna ask uh, our chief operating officer to make some comments as well. Uh, we, we appreciate the thorough work. Um, we are obviously still working on uh, the things that uh, are not implemented, and um, we want to work with you on uh, any disagreement of definition um, on various things like cost-benefit analysis. I happen to agree with your definition of cost-benefit <coughs> analysis. Um, so we will continue to work. I, I do want to... Uh, acknowledge uh, the gentleman uh, that we thrust into this position. Um, we've had some, uh, some challenges uh, in our parking division, uh, and I asked Mark Nagel to uh, take over that division uh, probably about 11 months ago or so. 13, when? 13. Uh, <laughs> oh, 13, One day, two days, hours, yeah. and three hours. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, and also Will McDonald, uh, who who uh, just started uh, even sooner than that, I think, uh, in November. Uh, August, or 11 months. Okay, 11 months, two days, and <laughs> three hours. Um, so we thrust them in there, and we asked them to um, work with this audit in particular. 
uh, and to work to uh, in terms of continuous improvement. So I want to uh, acknowledge uh, them and your work as well. And I'll ask Steve uh, to make some comments as well. Certainly. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. And again, to echo Phil's uh, comments, I can't thank you all enough for the work you do. We highly value um, the feedback and the information you provide. It does allow us to improve every day. Uh, and, you know, when we walk into a situation where there's 22 findings, it's not a good circumstance. It's one that we've realized and known early on that we have a lot of work to do. Um, and I'm proud of the team and the effort, to, to Phil's point, of addressing many of these shortcomings of what we do. You know, I'm the executive uh, that's accountable for this uh, organization from an operation standpoint. And as a result of that, I hold our team accountable in what goes on. Uh, that accountability has really res uh, res <laughs> res <laughs> I just lost the word. <laughs> Resulted, thank you so much. In you know, some you know, fairly significant leadership change outs. And those leadership changes take time. Uh, we don't like to come here and provide excuses. We want to make sure that we address the work that needs to be done. We want to make sure that um, we are completing and, and conducting our business and affairs with integrity and within all of the responsibilities that we have from the city auditor's office. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we are making, I think, significant, significant progress thanks to the work that Mark and Will and the rest of the team uh, have put forth in parking and ground transportation. They've done an incredible job in a short amount of time, but we acknowledge the fact that we have a lot of work to do. We're going to get there. We have a new RFP coming out. Uh, we're looking at being able to in incorporate a lot of the lessons learned in um, these audits and, and the feedback that you've provided into that contract and look forward to uh, getting us to, to a really good stead. So thank, thank you again. Thank you. Uh, Valerie has a comment. Yeah, I just, just wanted to put in perspective, um, partially implemented is, is from, our, from our standpoint is it's it just recognizing that there's some lingering risk there. It doesn't mean that we're not acknowledging that you've made significant progress. Um, so just, just I wanted to put that viewpoint out there too. And, and I would add to that. I mean, I appreciate the spirit of cooperation and the desire to do what's best for the public. And that's, that's what we're all here for. Jack, you have a I've, I've got a few questions. One question is this. In the last audit, and it wasn't brought directly here, and you're talking about a new procurement, the issue of when the new contract would start was in the, in the past, the new contract was going to start before any new contractor could possibly get new buses for themselves. And there's a, there was a, one issue was raised, whether the airport should own the buses per se and have a maintenance contract. So my question is very simply this, how is that going to be handled with this new procurement on that specific subject? Because that is a deal killer for anybody to come in. And it's kind of parallel to what Tyson brought up on the issue of um, the technology one. So that's my first question. Thank you. 
So let me, let me start on the first part of your question, of your first question, um, and talk a little bit about the cost-benefit analysis of insourcing the work and doing it internally versus contracting it out. And ultimately, I would tell you, we've made those decisions, we've had those discussions, and the fact of the matter is, from an operating standpoint, we have some significant risk and challenges with the cap capacity and capability of maintenance work and performing that work internally. And so it's not like we didn't do a cost-benefit analysis because we certainly have as we've gone through this procurement exercise and looking at RFPing it out. We made the decision that it's really in our best interest to outsource it and be able to contract the shuttle bus services and the maintenance contracts. We do have a strategy on equipment, and so I'll let Mark to kind of address uh, the tail end of that. So we are looking at, um, the airport is looking at um, purchasing about 25% of the buses for the new contract. And where we're headed with that is through different grants through the state, through at the federal level, to acquire EV buses, those electric mm -hmm. buses. Um, and so we're looking at that not only from a procurement standpoint, because there is a long lead time on electric buses, but also to help mitigate some of the capital costs that the new contractor would have to upfront for the purchase or lease of buses. But we're also structuring the new contract to where we will, it's a cost plus contract. So whatever cost they have for buses, either through a lease or through purchase, we will bear that cost. Um, and to help offset that, we are uh, working to get secure grants to purchase 25% of those buses for electric. And then we would lease those back to the contractor to operate and maintain them. But my question is this, if, it, if for the other 75%, the new operator has to start in 30 days and the time required for the new operator to acquire equipment is a year, that becomes a deal killer for anybody who would do this. So then the question becomes, if the, the time period to acquire the necessary equipment uh, is a year, is the, in your new RFP, is the new contractor going to be allowed a year before he, take, he or she takes over? That is to say, the, the existing contractor stays on un until a reasonable time. I'll give you a good example. Um, my daughter decided to have a third child. So now she needed a minivan. And getting a 2023 minivan, uh, you know, you can get one as long as you're willing to wait 10 months to get delivery. That doesn't Except quite the, fit with the gestation period. And the problem is <laughs> the new baby is coming in the on or before July 2nd. So that said, that wasn't going to be an alternative. I'd like to use that as the uh, corollary for a new contractor to come in in terms of what you're going to do about that. Yes, yeah, certainly. Is that a, yeah, yeah, I think we, we fully get that, and, and trust me, we, we understand that uh, the challenge there. 
I understand. What are you going to do about no, it? Is what I want. I, I, I'm getting to that point. Yeah. And so, thank you. Um, we share the concern. We want to make sure that it is a fair and open, competitive RFP process, and new entries are allowed to have the timeline necessary to uh, be able to acquire the proper resources and the right dimensions. And so with that said, we are putting out the RFP. It should be within this next five days or something out into the street with an effective date of February 25. And so there is plenty of time to give them ample opportunity to secure the resources that they need, um, depending on you know whoever, whoever the successful the bidder is. I like um, your answer. Yes, and, and so, so beyond that, I would also tell you the length of contract allows for recapitalization and be able to fund. That's why we did the 30th. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let me just say, Steve is right, and, you know, I've, I learned a long time ago uh, when the auditor says he likes the answer, stop talking. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, exactly. We're putting, and we've answered these questions from the private sector. Uh, or, you know, uh, potential bidders. Uh, we've answered the question of why we're putting out the RFP so early. Uh, and we have said, hey, this is why we're putting out the RFP so early. So to give folks time to be competitive with a NTP or not uh, a notice to proceed date of November or February of 2025. And so we, we think we're giving the industry actually more than 12 months, mm -hmm. and it's why we actually did the 18-month extension on the existing contract. All right. Thank you. Uh, further questions? All right. That concludes that briefing. Thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Under general business, we have our next meeting here on July 20th in the Par Widener Room, followed by an executive session with our external auditors. And I'd like to adjourn this meeting into executive session with our external auditors. So we are adjourned. One update. So there was a kind of a food prejudice, food racism here that they had to conquer. Another form of pressure, my aunt here, she, she started a dance club. Well, we had, going back from the 1930s, government officials come knocking at the door wanting to know what type of activities are taking place in this house. I have to bring that up because that type of, of value system with the government to not understand or be accepting of other cultures um, expression in the arts to, to be uh, to have that type of uh, uh, questioning by the government 
as if we were you know, causing some political uh, dissent. And that type of attitude was part of the, in my mind, the larger displacement of minorities throughout the United States. Stereotyping us as uh, radicals, <laughs> political troublemakers. African Americans who were notable, internationally respected, as performing artists could still not eat or be allowed to eat at restaurants or hotels. They felt accepted here. People like Marian Anderson, very significant person who came here, uh, Ethel Waters and Paul Robeson. Casamayan remained a home open.